Hello, and thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast from Prism Insurance Agency. As you know, we put in a ton of time and effort to make each of our shows as valuable as we can. If you find the information useful, please share this podcast with a friend by emailing it to them or sharing this on the social media site of your choice. Is the next bubble going to hit the farmers? We've seen a real estate market correction unlike anything we've seen in the past, but yet farmers seem to be immune. Well, today we have Mike Duffy, who conducted the annual farm land survey to give us his insight on what's going on with farm values and what's driving the great increase we've seen here in the Midwest, and will it be able to continue? And then when we're done visiting with Mike, we're going to talk a little bit about some planning opportunities that if you're a farmer and you own land, some things that you're going to want to consider, especially this year, because brace yourself, new tax rates are on the horizon that can have a dramatic impact on your family farm. So with that, we'd like to welcome Mike Duffy, an agricultural economist and professor of economics at Iowa State University and the author of the annual State of Iowa Farmland Value Survey. Welcome, Mike. Thank you very much. We're really looking forward to visiting with you today. Tony and I are from Wisconsin. You're from Iowa. We're really the world's breadbasket, and something we've seen in farming over the last couple of years anyway is we've seen some dramatic increases in prices, and farmers seem to be doing quite well right now. There's a lot of speculation of what might be happening, and what you have done is you've actually done an annual land survey in the state of Iowa to determine what's going on with land values. How long have you been doing that, Mike? Personally, I've been doing it since 84. The survey itself started back in 1945. What actually motivated you to start it, Mike? Pretty much coming off of World War II and a desire to see what was happening with land. There was a concern at that time that we'd see a war inflation in land, a bit like we saw after World War One, and so there was an attempt to want to watch it. So what were the results of this most recent survey? And maybe also, if you could even comment, do you know what those land values were in the beginning? Because I know we've seen some dramatic changes just here recently, but it'd be interesting to hear the perspective of where all this started. Well, our land values this year, and I should say from the beginning that our survey is a yearly, an opinion survey, and we can come back to that if you want, comparing it to sales. But based on our survey, as of November 1st in Iowa, our average land value was $6,708. That not only was a nominal record, but also inflation-adjusted, it set a record, and in terms of the percent increase, it set a record. We were up 32.5% in just the one year. To give you kind of an idea, if we look back, the previous nominal peak had been in 1981, and that was at 2147 an acre. And then when we went into the farm crisis, we dropped to 787. That was in 1986 pretty much on an upward trend ever since then. We did have a couple of corrections along the way, most notably here in 2009. Land values actually did drop 2%. So we're in record territory. We've never been here before. 
So when you talked about it being around 780, and I think you said 85 or 86, is that the lowest since the survey's been done, or did it start out much lower than that to give us some perspective? It started out, it was $218 in 1950, and that was the lowest that the survey had. Actually, Iowa land values have been lower than that. I'm not quite sure. I can't remember exactly the increase that we've seen over since like in the 1920s, but we're the 2147 in 1980 or in 81 was the highest that we'd seen. It had been pretty much running along one, two percent a year increase until 1973, and then that's where it really exploded. Well, you conduct and author the annual State of Iowa Farmland Value Survey, but how do the numbers compare then nationally? Well, nationally, Iowa is much higher. If you look, the trends tend to be the same, although in this period that we're in right now, the last Oh, three, four years, Iowa's value started off in the mid-2006 period. We're in a much better position throughout the Midwest, areas that grow corn, soybeans, wheat. Those areas tended to move up much more rapidly. In fact, in some areas, there was actually even a decrease. So nationwide, the mountain states haven't been doing real well. New England hasn't been doing real well. It varies a little bit depending on where you are. The Federal Reserve Bank of Chicago said that it was the biggest annual increase of farmland values in 36 years. So what are the reasons for that, Mike? Well, the biggest reason is because of the record high income that we've had. If you look, our prices have been very, very strong. And although cost of production have gone up, they still haven't gone up at the same level. When you look based on, I also do an estimated cost of crop production. If you take corn, for example, look at the cost per bushel relative to the average price. We made in 2008, we actually made almost $2 a bushel profit. That's over and above land cost unpaid equity and so forth. So it's been pretty high. I looked yesterday based on the futures. We're still looking at profit in 2012. Now, do you see that continuing to increase? I know sometimes I'm talking to farmers and they wonder if it can keep continuing, but it seems like the demand for the commodities right now is very robust. Do you see that continuing or do we have a bubble that we're possibly facing? Well, I think that the rate of increase that we've been seeing in Iowa, our survey, 32.5%, or what Chicago Fed found, and I just don't think that can continue. Actually, I would be very worried if it did. I don't think it would be healthy. But I am not as worried as some people are with respect to the speculative bubble. If you look the USDA's projections for corn and bean prices and gross income as you look out, 2013-2014, they're projecting a dip in income primarily due to supply responses rather than a softening of demand. And so that drives the price down for corn and soybeans. That 
driving the price down, I think will have an impact on land values and negative impact. I don't think that it's going to be the speculative bubble type of pop that you saw in the urban market for a variety of reasons. One is that farm ground is just different than urban. Two is that we haven't had the debt this go-around that we saw in 1970s and also in the urban. In my opinion, it'll be more like a tire that ran over a nail. If we drop, it'll be a slow leak, and I don't anticipate that it would last very long because there is the demand out there. A lot of negatives or uncertainties that we need to watch. What's going to happen in China, Southeast Asia in terms of growth? What's going to happen to the euro? What's going to happen to the U.S. economy in general? The Middle East, these are all uncertainties that are out there that could have impacts. Well, when you're doing your valuation, obviously commodity prices and what crop prices are at have an impact on valuation. But what other significant issues impact value of land? Does it, I mean, are you basing this on land sale transactions or how do you kind of determine your overall valuation? We survey real estate brokers, county assessors, other people like that that are knowledgeable about the land markets in their areas. And we just simply ask their opinion of value for high, medium, and low quality. I've recently been conducting a study where we actually went out to courthouses and got sales data and comparing that sales data to the value data that we've gotten in our survey. There's a tendency for the survey to report a little bit higher, but it's not a significant amount, and it will vary year to year. I think that If we think about that, though, that's an understandable result. Value and price are two different things. The price is what the market's determining and looking at, and value is what it's worth to you. And for land, every land purchase is individual. Some people, the value of the ground is extremely high for whatever reason, and that may or may not be something that's reflected in the marketplace. So I'm not surprised at our results, but I do feel more comfortable in how it tracks. Are the commodity prices the most impactful part of the valuation equation? I think so. I think if you look, and I've got a nice little graph where I put our land values and then I put the commodity prices and yields, and they almost overlay perfectly. It's an interesting phenomenon, though. It's really more on the gross revenue than it is on the net revenue. Mike, if one of our listeners wanted to see that actually visually, do you have that available somehow? Yes, they could either contact me or there is data available. The Iowa State has a website called the Ag Decision Maker, and we have a lot of the information on that. But if people just wanted to send me an email, I usually try to answer all of them. What's that email, if I may ask? It's mduffy, D-U-F-F-Y, and at iastate.edu. Okay, that sounds fantastic. I've also done a study that is available on the web at that Ag Decision Maker where I took 
a bit of a simple-minded approach, but I looked at if you took $1,000 and you bought as much land as you could in any one year, and then you paid ownership taxes and a management fee, rented the ground out, and then took that net rent and reinvested it in land. Then I looked at if we put $1,000 in S&P and did the same thing. And then I compared, would you be better off today had you gone into Iowa farmland or into the standard and poor's? And almost every year, except for that period in the 70s, had you invested in Iowa farmland, you'd be better off today than had you invested in the standard and poor's. Now, one of the problems, obviously, is it's hard to get into the land market with $1,000. There you go. But it does show, though, farmland's a good long-term investment. Don't get into it for the short run. That's true, and I think certainly as we've seen what's happened across the country in real estate, you have to understand there is some illiquidity to that particular investment, and like you well point out, it's a long-term hold. Hey, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, since we talked about valuations and how they might increase, let's talk about commodity prices and your thoughts of how those might go up, and maybe what particular crops do you envision having those biggest increases, so please stay tuned. This copyrighted program and its contents is given with the understanding that neither the hosts, guests, nor station render legal, medical, accounting, tax, or other professional advice. The information and opinions expressed here are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendation for any individual situation or security. For specific assistance, you should seek the services of a competent professional. To learn about a specific investment option, ask your Real Wealth Advisor for a prospectus. Please read the prospectus carefully about the fees, expenses, and risks before investing. Real Wealth Advisors offer security and investment advisory services through Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC, and registered investment advisor, P.O. Box 64284, St. Paul, Minnesota, 55164. Real Wealth Advisors and Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated are not affiliated entities. This is Real Wealth Weekly on the Real Wealth Advisor Network. The purpose of this message is to stop your heart for just a few seconds. If you weren't here, what would happen to your family? Would there be enough money for them to have the kind of life you want them to? People with life insurance know the answer. Life insurance isn't for the people who die. It's for the people who live. A reminder from the Life and Health Insurance Foundation for Education, a nonprofit organization. Welcome back as we continue our conversation today with Mike Duffy, who is the agricultural economist and professor of economics at Iowa State University. He also conducts and authors the annual State of Iowa Farmland Value Survey, and we're talking today about understanding farmland values, not only in Iowa, but across the country, and what impacts those values. And since a significant issue that impacts those, as you well pointed out, Mike, is commodity prices, we've certainly seen in our local economy with our client base in the farming world that commodity Commodity prices have increased their income in the last couple of years dramatically, allowing them to reinvest back in their business. So, of course, there's continual questions is where will commodity prices go from here? Will they continue to increase? And are there particular crops that you envision that will have the biggest increases going forward? You know, I have to confess that I deal primarily in the Midwest, but I would see the principal crops, corn, beans, rice, wheat, are going to be ones that should hold up pretty good. 
but it's a little bit harder for me to say. But as we look at what's going on, it looks like this price increase, if you will, should stay above for all of the crops. Which of the crops would you say would have the best chance to hold steady or continue to increase, or are they all pretty much on an equal playing field? I think right now they're all pretty much on an equal playing field. Okay. What about the United States is probably one of the largest producers and exporters of soybeans, and there's a lot of talk that now Russia and China, they're placing lots of orders for farm equipment right now here in the U.S. Will that diminish dramatically our ability to export, or do you see that as something where it's just going to be increasing as demand increases? How is that all going to play out? Well, I personally think that it's going to continue because of the population growth and because of the increase in economic activity, particularly in the Southeast Asia region. As people's income improves, their diets improve, and as that happens, there'll be more demand not only for our food, but also food products. Mike, you had commented earlier that you think that many crop prices will increase about the same across the different types of crops, but with the U.S. being the largest exporter of soybeans, why wouldn't a farmer then choose to focus on that particular crop, especially if he's trying to increase the value of his property? Well, I think there's a couple of points there to consider. Number one, as I said, I typically only follow corn and beans, and so you need to look at what crop is best for your region of the country as well as how it's going to be doing if it's, in fact, increasing in value and so forth. In Iowa and the Midwest, as we look, you don't want to grow soybeans after soybeans because you can start disease problems and also what's called a soybean cyst nematode. And so you need to follow a rotation. We're really encouraging people to maintain at least a corn-soybean rotation, although right now we're seeing, because of the high prices, people looking at just going straight with corn. But I don't encourage that at all. You need not only to look at the price aspect, but the agronomic aspect, and not just for next year, but a longer-term perspective as well. Now, I've got another question, and you kind of touched on this a little bit before about the value of land prices and being a good investment. And I know Tony and I both work with a lot of farmers, and a lot of farmers we see renting land, and we haven't seen the rents necessarily go up in this part of the country as quickly as some of these values have. And I know when I've put a pencil to it, a lot of times it seems to me with the prices that the land's getting, and by the time you're done servicing the debt, that sometimes it looks like rent is a bargain compared to owning. Do you see that throughout the country, or what would be your comment about renting versus owning land when it comes to farming? Now, again, my perspective will be mostly Midwest, but if you look at the Midwest, our rent-to-value is the lowest it's ever been, and that goes clear back. I have data back into the 20s, and this is the lowest that it's ever been. And so your point about rent relative to value is a valid one. But there's a couple of things when, if you look, most people are renting some ground and farming some ground because they don't have the ability to buy all the ground they want to. 
This is actually, from a farmer perspective, increased the level of risk that they face. They've got equipment and grain storage and so forth for, let's say, a 2,000-acre operation, and a 1,000 of it's rented. What happens if they lose that 1,000 acres or 500 acres? All of a sudden, they're in a more precarious position, if you will, based on cost of production. So they try to control the asset through owning, even though it may not look year to year as good as renting right now. I hope that made sense. But it is interesting when you look at the rent to value and we compare that to the implied capitalization rate in the sales studies we've done, up until 2010, they were pretty equal. And since in 2010, 2011, the capitalization rate for owning the ground is much higher than renting it, the owning, operating, than in the renting. And I think that's a reflection of people's concern that these high prices, the speculative bubble that we talked about before, it's on people's minds. No doubt. I appreciate that. So let's talk about the non-farmer as an investor. Would you consider farmland to be a wise investment for that person? Oh, I think so. I think that when you look, there's a number of the larger insurance companies and foundations and so forth that try to get farmland as part of their portfolio. The issue that I think I was mentioning earlier is you have to have quite a bit of money to get into the agricultural land, depending on where you are. But if you look at Iowa at 6,700 an acre, you've got to have quite a bit to even make any kind of a purchase. So that is going to limit some people's ability to get in and work with farmland. But if you can, then I think it's a good investment. But again, it's one that you want to look at as a more longer-term investment, not a in and out. That sounds great. Listen, we appreciate your perspective and the fact that you've been analyzing this for so many years. It's great information, I think, that our listeners can use because sometimes really the Midwest does provide an indication of how things are happening across the nation. And even though in this area there are obviously unique pockets of valuation and differences, certainly when it comes to land, the factors involved of crop values and commodity prices, from your perspective today, really helped us understand it more. So we appreciate you joining us today. That's quite all right. I think you really did hit the nail on the head, though, that there's fundamentals in the land market, but there's a myriad of things that have to be considered. Each piece of ground is a unique one. Well, as we certainly see the landscape changing in the future, I'm sure we will contact you again for additional perspectives. We appreciate you joining us today. Well, we really want to thank Mike Duffy for joining us and sharing some perspective of what's going on in the farm market right now with valuations and what to look forward to. Now, because of what we discussed today, we're seeing land values right now at some of the highest it's ever been in history, especially here in the Midwest. I know in their survey, they found a couple transactions where land value actually went for as much as 20000 an acre. And Tony had mentioned earlier in the program, talking about the lack of liquidity that you have when you have so much resources into something like the real estate of the farmland. We've had past guests on that have talked about 2012 as being the year for estate planning, 
And just a couple things to kind of touch on. This year, you have a $5 million, basically, lifetime exemption, which adjusted for inflation is $5,100,000. But next year, the estate tax exemption drops to a million unless Congress does something to change it. And our tax rates go from 35% to 50% and even possibly higher than that, depending on the total values. Well, if you're sitting on a 1,000 acres and you have $20,000 acre value or even $10,000 an acre value, if there is no act of Congress to change these laws, there could be a very substantial tax liability that's created upon your passing. And if your intent is to keep the family farm in the family, or at least the value of the family farm, if you have not taken steps to prepare for this lack of liquidity, these taxes are due within nine months of death. So if you don't have the cash, it could force a sale. And one thing I know from auctions, and a lot of times I know farmers go to these auctions, they don't go there to pay top value to help out a family. They're there to find a deal. So you might get the double whammy of not only paying taxes at a high value, but a forced sale to gain liquidity might create a loss of value there as well. So this is a year you definitely want to make some plans and sit down with your team of advisors and make sure that you have your ducks in a row and you're prepared for these higher values to capitalize that and keep it in the family. Well, Jim, and you well know that estate taxes is certainly one thing that the family farm should be planning for when that wealth transfers. But prior to that, if the family finds a need or reason to sell some of the acreage at these high values, they have another tax that's kind of lined up waiting for them, and that's capital gain tax. And of course, many should know by now that 2012 potentially is the last favorable year for capital gain tax rates of 15% maximum on long-term capital assets. So anything that you've held for greater than 12 months that you haven't already taken depreciation. This is something to really contemplate with values at a peak and capital gain tax rates at a minimum. This is the time to also sit down with your tax planner and determine if paying that tax now is better than the potential higher rates that are taking into effect next year. Of course, that would take an act of Congress to change it. The tax rate is going up to 20% long-term. That's like a 33% increase in taxes just next year. So careful planning is needed in this area. With land values increasing, commodity prices up, farmers are doing well. But someone might just want to be their partner in the future, and that could be Uncle Sam. So sit down with a qualified advisor. Taxes are certainly a concern. The transfer of wealth should certainly be a concern. So work closely with your financial advisor, your tax advisor, and your estate planning attorney, and make sure that you keep these valuable dollars in the family working for you. Thanks for joining us this week. And tune in again next week as we explore another phase of the real wealth process. And remember, if anything you heard in today's show you'd like to get more information about, contact your Real Wealth Advisor. Also, if you feel that any of this information will be helpful to a friend or family member, just click the Forward to a Friend button. This copyrighted program and its contents is given with the understanding that neither the hosts, guests, nor station render legal, medical, accounting, tax, or other professional advice. The information and opinions expressed here are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendation for any individual situation or security. For specific assistance, you should seek the services of a competent professional. To learn about a specific investment option, ask your Real Wealth Advisor for a prospectus. Please read the prospectus carefully about the fees, expenses, and risks 
before investing. Real Wealth Advisors offer securities and investment advisory services through Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC, and registered investment advisor, P.O. Box 64284, St. Paul, Minnesota, 55164. Real Wealth Advisors and Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated are not affiliated entities. This is Real Wealth Weekly on the Real Wealth Advisor Network. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's podcast from Prism Insurance Agency. We've got additional information and links in our show notes, which you can click on to learn more. If you have any questions about any of the topics covered or would like to learn more, you can go to our website, www.myprisminsurance.com. You can reach out to us on Facebook or LinkedIn or Twitter. Call us at 951-243-2800 or email me directly at prob at myprisminsurance.com. The email is in the show notes as well. Once again, thank you so much for tuning in, and have a wonderful week.